everybody, it's David Creek. I want to thank you for listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. We're coming to you from the Philadelphia area. And you can check out our website at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near in order to hear him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. In first century Palestine, sacrifices were made by all of the people as atonement for their sins. But they were only certain individuals. They were only certain people who were branded with the title of a sinner with a capital S. Now, without question, these were considered to be the Gentiles, definitely anyone who was a Samaritan. But especially when we find this phrase, and clearly that is um, tax collectors, but that is also code for um, prostitutes. Many people in, in the religious institution looked at these individuals and said, okay, those are the sinners. When you prayed, you would stand up and say, God, I am so lucky, you are so lucky that I'm not like that sinner over there. And when you were branded with the title of sinner, you were forevermore to be ostracized and condemned. And yet when the word became flesh and it dwelt among us, Jesus never ostracized these people. Jesus doesn't run away from people like this. Jesus runs to them. Jesus associated with sinners, befriended sinners, had breakfast, lunch, and dinner with these people who their society called sinners. And yet, as we see in the text, though, the religious leaders are indignant. They, they are offended. And they're in his disciples' faces confronting them. Why is your teacher associating with these sinners over there at that table? I mean, why is he acknowledging their existence? Doesn't he know that you're not supposed to do that? When I was four years old, I vividly remember what my very first perception of a sinner was. If we could go back to 1988 and you were to ask four-year-old version of me, David, what is a sinner? My squeaky little voice would have said, well, a sinner is someone who smokes cigarettes, who drinks beer, who says bad words, and has tattoos. And that was it. Those were the four deadly sins. It's a person who smokes cigarettes, who drinks beer, who uses four-letter words, and who has tattoos. Well, I matured from that understanding when I was five, and I saw the movie Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And there's a scene 
where um, the Pee Wee Herman goes inside a biker bar and there's, there's all these bikers in there. Then I became enlightened that a sinner was, was a person who smoked, who drank, who cursed, who had tattoos and rode a motorcycle, you see. And those became the sinners in my five-year-old understanding. Well, a child's innocence can be cute sometimes. But when we're 40, 60, 78 years old and we're still subscribing to that way of thinking, and we're identifying sinners in those same kinds of ways, well, clearly that is no longer cute, is it? If we were to ask the average American Christian, what is a sinner? I fear that a large number of people would either say or they would imply indirectly that a sinner is a serial killer. A sinner is a pedophile. A sinner is someone who sneaks across the border. A sinner is a man who is married to a man. A sinner is a man who is now living as a woman. A sinner is someone who cheats on their taxes or who cheats on their spouse or who's had an abortion in their past. And that's pretty much it. Those are the sinners and those are the only sinners. I think that most Christians would say, sure, we've all sinned, but I mean, come on, I'm not sinning that bad. And if I, or if you, or if any other Christian categorizes big sins and we downplay our sins as being small sins and, and trivial sins and harmless sins, then what we're doing is over here we've got the good people, which, oh, by the way, we're, we're always over here with the good people, right? And over there, way over there, you've got these people branded by us as... Sinners with a capital S. And yet, you know, I am amazed in the scriptures at the number of times that the so-called dregs of society and the people who religious people look down upon as being the scum of the earth, at the number of times they of all people are the ones most beautifully exemplifying God's heart and the kingdom of heaven, while so often it is the religiously educated and the spiritually privileged who are the ones who completely miss everything that Jesus is about. And so this morning I want to begin a series, and over these next several weeks, I want us to see these diamonds in the rough that we find in Scripture. I want us to step out of the technicolor stained glass windows and to step into the smoky biker bars that reeks of Jack Daniels and Marlboros, where the songs are by Ozzy Osbourne and Lemmy Kilmister and Motley Crue, and where four-letter words are pervasive. I, I want us to sit in the smoking section. And to discover in the pages of Scripture that sometimes the very people who we would never imagine touching with a 10-foot pole, 
that the very people who we avoid, who we demonize and dehumanize, might just surprise us with their response to the grace of God and show themselves to be an example to us as diamonds in the rough. And so our very first message comes to us from a rather uncomfortable place. As we step out of our stained glass window cathedrals mentally this morning, we step into the red light district. It's said to be the world's oldest profession, an act that is so dark and so illicit that police forces all across our country still classify it as a vice crime. And that, of course, as I've already mentioned this morning, is the darkness of prostitution. You see, as Jesus is sharing a meal with these individuals who they are are classifying as sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes, these religious leaders feel very justified as they despise these individuals. Because after all, they had Bible verses. They had Bible verses that repeatedly warned against the darkness of prostitution. In Proverbs chapter 23, Solomon warns, My son, give me your heart and listen to me. For a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases traitors of mankind. That's a strong statement, isn't it? She increases the traitors of mankind. Wow. Under the law of Moses, as it pertained to anyone who served as a priest, we find in Leviticus 21 and verse 9 that if a daughter of any priest profanes herself by harlotry, she profanes her father, and listen to this, shall be burned with fire. That's a strong statement. Deuteronomy 21, as as the influences of idolatrous nations began coming into God's nation, you had what were called the cult prostitutes, male and female, who were bringing prostitution inside God's temple of all places. God puts his foot down. He forbids cult prostitutes cult prostitution and says that anybody who who brings the wages of prostitution inside of his house, inside of his dwelling place rather, God calls this an abomination. And yet even more so, more than anything else, prostitution is the metaphor the scripture uses for spiritual unfaithfulness. For just as the church is the bride of Jesus Christ, so Yahweh was the husband to to Israel. And so often we find God looking on his people as they worship golden calves and as they bow down before Chemosh and Molech and, and Asherah and Baal. And God likens it to prostitution. 34 times the prophet Ezekiel refers to Israel as whores. God comes before the prophet Hosea with a shocking command where he says, Hosea, I want you to take a prostitute as a wife. 
I want you to go out and marry a prostitute and have children of prostitution with her. Why would God ever want one of his prophets to do that, we wonder? Well, God was doing this so that it would be an object lesson to all of his people, to all of his so-called people who had prostituted themselves in the spiritual red light district of idolatry. Over and again, what we find in the scriptures is that prostitution is sad. Prostitution is dark. Prostitution was absolutely forbidden. Prostitution is gross. And yet, here is what the religious leaders, so many of them at least, were completely overlooking. Sin. Any kind of sin is sad. Sin, any kind of sin is gross, disgusting, and dark. But more than anything else, here is what God's people cannot afford to miss. Is that God's loving kindness for a world of harlots would not end and it would not die. Sure enough, Hosea obeys God and he marries a prostitute. Her name was Gomer, but, you know, and again, it was symbolic of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. Well, very soon Gomer leaves her husband Hosea and her children in order to return to her life of prostitution. But even though his wife had abandoned him and was committing what Scripture refers to as, as harlotry and as prostitution, Hosea's love for his wife would not end. He still loved his wife. Just as God's love for his unfaithful people does not die. It does not end. It sounds so offensive and so wrong, but it is absolutely so. God has a thing for prostitutes. God has a thing for sinners. God loves sinners. God cares about sinners. Sinners of all kinds. Sinners of all types. And in His grace and by His cross, He calls us, all of us, regardless of the ways that we have sinned against Him, to surrender our all to Him. Well, as Jesus has lunch with prostitutes and tax collectors, the Pharisees are absolutely shocked. But you know, it pales in comparison to how much more Jesus is going to shock and offend them just before the crucifixion. I want us to see something in Matthew chapter 21 that he says. I will give us all the time in the world to turn there because this is incredible. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is in the temple and, he's, and he um, is teaching. And once again, he's interrupted by a bunch of scribes and Pharisees and they begin confronting Jesus as they love to do. And yet then Jesus says this, Matthew 21, 28. Jesus says, what do you think? A man had two sons. 
And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he went out to the other son and said the exact same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Jesus asked them, verse 31, which of the two did the will of the Father? And they said the first. Then Jesus says this. Jesus said to these scribes and Pharisees, Truly I say to you, that the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Can you guys imagine the looks on these guys' faces when Jesus said that? I mean, these were the gray-haired sages we're talking about here. These were the guys who could quote the first five books of the Bible like it was nothing. These were the ones who were looked upon as the experts and authorities of all things pertaining to God. And Jesus is saying that the tax collectors and the hookers are getting into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Well, last week we heard Jesus speak about two sons that a father had. And yet again, here in Matthew 21, Jesus speaks of two other sons. One of them symbolizes these tax collectors and sinners. The other represents the religious leaders. Notice how both sons receive the exact same invitation to work and to occupy his vineyard, his kingdom. And yet of these two sons, Jesus says only one of them goes. Well, the first son, who again represents these tax collectors and sinners, he says, I'm not going to go. He wants absolutely nothing to do with this, because after all, he's got a world to enjoy and a life to live up. And yet very soon, though, once he has lived and he's, he's experienced rock bottom, he has a dramatic change in his heart. And with all of his heart, he goes into the vineyard with every fiber of his being and said, I I am so blessed to be here, Father. And yet the other son, the one who represents the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, oh yes, I will go, but he comes up missing in action. And it's then when Jesus unloads this absolutely shocking, I mean, just just an explosively nuclear statement on the religious institution, where he says, you see those tax collectors and prostitutes with me at this table? You know, the ones who, who I shared a table with and meals with? They've been entering the kingdom of God, and you guys haven't. You guys have completely missed it. And so what Jesus is saying to them as well as to us is this. If you want to enter and to inhabit the kingdom of heaven, you've got to become like these prostitutes over here. You've got to have faith like these prostitutes and tax collectors had when they heard of my kingdom. And why is that? 
Well, as Jesus says in verse 32, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, and you did not afterward change your minds and your hearts. You see, unlike these religious leaders, even though these tax collectors and sinners, as it says, and these prostitutes had done horrible things in their life, Unlike the religious leaders, they knew that they were sinners. They wanted to do something. They no longer wanted to live in these sins. And as Jesus says, as John the Baptist prepared the way, you guys rejected him. You didn't believe him. And yet it was the so-called pagans, the so-called pariahs who they looked down upon as being the scum of the earth, They're the ones who had ears to hear, eyes to see, and sensitive hearts that were poor in spirit. In his commentaries, James Kaufman says this. He says, Christ is not condoning sin. He was only stating the fact witnessed by all generations that many who have the finest inheritance, the best upbringing, the most sacred privileges and the maximum exposure to truth and righteousness actually are the ones who despise it. While it is those who are recognized as being the grossest of persons, even those scarred and burned by sin, who are nevertheless humbly turning to the Lord for forgiveness. And it is so true across Scripture that We come to Hebrews chapter 11, where all of these legendary pillars of faith are being celebrated, where along with the Abrahams and the Moseses and the Josephs, we have this unlikely exhibit in Hebrews 11 and verse 31, where we read in the hall of faith as we know it as, how by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a a friendly welcome to the spies. I mean, what in the world is a Canaanite prostitute doing in the same hall of faith as Abraham? Well, in Joshua chapter 2, we remember how the Hebrew spies go into Jericho and they more specifically, go into the house of Rahab the prostitute. And even though they were her bitter enemies, Rahab hides them on her roof. She saves their life, and and by doing so, risks the life of her own as well as her whole entire family. The reason why she was willing to go to such great lengths for these outsiders was because she had heard about this God of theirs in Israel. A God who parts seas and who liberates his people miraculously from slavery. And as she heard about these these great and awesome acts of this awesome God, her heart melted and she believed. She feared God even to the point of showing kindness 
and hospitality to these outsiders. This prostitute Rahab is in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, even though by doing so, she lied through her teeth, saving the lives of these Hebrews. I mean, there's, there's no way to get around it. She lied through her teeth and said, oh no, I don't know where they are, but they were up on the roof. And, it's, and it really shows us that just as it is when, when an ox falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, sometimes common sense trumps even the letter of the law itself. And yet as I consider Rahab, though, it... I just marvel about this. I mean, how is it that Israel, who had seen the plagues with their own eyes, who were there as God parted the Red Sea and rescued them, how they were the very ones who distrusted God's ability of this same God to even give them something to eat. And that even though this foreign prostitute never heard of these, these things before, even though she had never seen any of this with her own eyes, Rahab believed and feared God. And that's the essence of faith, is it not? I haven't seen it, and yet I believe it with all of my heart. And as a result of her faithfulness to God, Rahab and her family were delivered. And these spies were also saved. You know, in ancient, in ancient Israel, genealogies were all about proving that, that your family line was, was 100% from your tribe. It was in order to, to brag and to confirm, yeah, we don't have any Gentiles or Samaritans in our family. And unless they were royalty women, were very rarely mentioned in genealogies then, especially if they were unseemly. I think we all have had relatives before who we just kind of embarrassed by, you know. We don't bring their names up ever. Just kind of pretend like we're not related sometimes. <laughs> and yet, you know, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, in the same lineage as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we once again find the name of this Canaanite prostitute, Rahab. Loudly and proudly showcase this was a descendant. This individual, Rahab, came before Jesus. I mean, what is a hooker doing in the lineage of the Messiah? What are prostitutes doing in the same heaven as the God of holiness? Well, it sounds so offensive and so wrong, but it is so utterly so. God has a thing for prostitutes. God has a thing for sinners. God loves sinners. God cares about sinners. Sinners of all kinds Sinners of all types. Even sinners. And even spiritual whores like me. And even sinners like you. 
And when we have this kind of understanding and self-awareness of just exactly what a sinner is, now our prayer and our heart becomes, God, have mercy on me, a sinner with a capital S. About four years ago, I was standing in line at a coffee shop right down the street from where we're sitting. And the barista was a woman who was now living as a man. There was no mistake. She was a woman who was now living as a man. And it was awkward. I had no idea what I was going to say. It was uncomfortable. I could hear the whispers in front of me, behind me, all around me. And everything within me was, was imploring the Holy Spirit, grab the wheel here because I don't know what to say. I don't know how to handle this situation. Until as I stood there in line, where my thoughts had taken me, and I believe it was from God, was, you know, David, this really isn't that complicated. This isn't rocket science. You know, what if rather than being the 81st Christian on this day who said things about them under their breath and and glared them up and down and thought to themselves, God, I am so glad I'm not like that hideous sinner over there. What if when you reached that checkout and you stood before this cashier, what if you were to look them in the eye smile, greet them, treat them as if they were the most important person on the face of the earth, tip them as lavishly as you can afford to tip them, and then smile again and say, thank you so very much. May God bless you today. And so I tried that. And the whole time I was watching, This barista held their head down the whole entire time. And yet something as simple as greeting them and acknowledging their existence and treating them with a sense of of, of humanity and of dignity, it put a glow in their eyes. It lifted up their head. Again, it, it, it wasn't me. But you see, this is what is possible when we are willing to look at anybody, I mean anybody, and to look deep enough beyond all of the things that that we don't understand, that, that we cannot relate with, and yet to see something beautiful in this individual, whoever it is, whatever they have done in their lives. You see, underneath all the stuff that I didn't understand, I saw, I saw the image of God in their eyes as I stood there. And so as we close this morning, I just want to ask us, I want to challenge you and I want to challenge me. Who have we branded as sinners with a capital S? Who do we speak about as being less than human? 
Is there anybody in the world who we have condemned as being the real sinners and not exactly as bad sinners as we are? You see, whoever we denigrate as being less than human because they don't come from our tribe or because we don't understand them or because they don't look like us or because they don't agree with our political persuasions, whatever it may be, I want to invite us to look for the beauty in that person. To draw closer towards them rather than sprinting away. And like Rahab, search for ways to practice kindness and loving kindness to our other. Rather than calling them slurs, Imagine what it would be like if we were able to look at them long enough to see that they too bear the image of the divine. And that God has a thing for their soul, and so therefore, so should we. But more than anything, let us understand that spiritually speaking, we're all diamonds in the rock. God, give us the faith of these tax collectors and prostitutes who we read about. Those tax collectors and prostitutes who believed with a heart of faith and turned their hearts to Jesus 